Let's pick up Ephesians 5, 15. Uh, I want to deal with how to live wisely until Jesus comes. Uh, first week, we dealt with Matthew 24 through 25. Last week, how to live in marriage until he comes. And I just want to do uh, a little bit of wrapping up, kind of kick off the year for you. And today, it will be many subjects and we'll be moving quick. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This must have been written 2010. No, this was about 50 AD. The times have always been evil. They just get worse. Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be a moron. But understand what the Lord's will is. Now, here's the Lord's will specifically. Stop getting drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be continually. The filled gives a misleading connotation. Some people say, I was filled with the Spirit 20 years ago, and that was the last time they were filled. This is a continuous tense. Instead, be getting yourself under the controlling influence of the Spirit. How will we know it? You'll be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me now because I'm going to expand on living wisely and living like a fool. And I want to take it out of the wisdom literature, Proverbs 1. Turn there, if you will. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a discipline and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. For the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And the word discipline, training, divine insight and training. I just give you a brief introduction to the fool of Proverbs, several kind. Have you ever met a fool? Have you ever met one in the mirror? We've all been foolish at times. Uh, several words, just to give you a, a handle. Uh, the, the Hebrew word uh, for simple is pati, and it means uh, easily deceived, gullible, open to everything. Everything sounds good. Easily led astray, sometimes silly. They're mentally naive, 
they're set up to be a sap because they're, they're easily sold, a bill of goods. And he talks about the simpleton. He goes on and he talks about several fools. One is Casil, the other is Evil, E-W-I-L. And evil F comes from it. Uh, and the fool in Proverbs doesn't lack IQ. What he lacks is he's sluggish and stupid about divine things. He, he just uh, sluggish. He has no ear to learn the divine perspective on life. And so he's not a guy that you would say uh, uh, didn't uh, pass all the exams and was a straight. You can be a straight A student and still be a fool from the divine viewpoint because you don't have an ear for divine perspective, how to live life. Uh, the idea comes out, they're hard-headed. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Have you ever heard that? You ain't telling me what to do. Well, who's going to teach you? Experience. I want to find out for myself. There's some things you don't want to find out for yourself. You don't want to drink the poison to find out it kills. We say if you step off the Golden Gate Bridge, it's reported it kills you. I want to find out for myself. Uh, you shouldn't make these choices. Well, you're just old fogey. You don't know what you're, you're too old to do it. I'm going to, do, I want to find out for myself. Well, please make funeral arrangements because you can't live through all the experiments. This is the fool in Proverbs and in our day. Uh, morally insolent, break all the rules, uh, thick-headed, stubborn. It's amazing how hard it is to teach a child because you're usually handed a fool at birth. And some never get over it, some do. Uh, and what it takes to teach us. I never forget when my brother wanted to be a Boy Scout and my dad was a rigger and uh, they had to tie all the knots to pass the test to go up, you know, sheep shank and, and the bowling and, and all these. And my dad had a little... A piece of wood there that he made all these knots to help Paul get them. And he just, he went over this and went over with Paul about two or three times and then, please do the bowling. And the rabbit went around the tree and went back, went up through the hole and boom, you know, I mean, you know that. Boom. There's the bowling. And Paul, did he get it? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. My dad, being old-fashioned, took off his belt, laid it down. One more time. I'm going to see if you learn how to tie a bow. He got it immediately. <laughs> Just picked up. And that's why life is so full of discipline, pain, because God's dealing with stubborn people by nature. Now, I want to deal with how to live wisely in this world. And uh, I want to deal with it this way. Uh, I want to see that the wise man lives out of a paradigm that he fears the Lord. Two, he is a man who chooses to trust God more than he trusts anything else, more than his heart, more than his peers, more than anything else. And three, I just want to touch six areas where you need to make wise choices and read the book of Proverbs and you'll pick them up. 
Six choices. You're going to be making choices the rest of this year about sin, about moral purity, about speech, about money, about self-control, about how you're going to spend this year. Will you spend it wisely or like a fool? Let's, first of all, see the theme of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord in the Hebrew wisdom literature is a catch-all phrase. Walter Kaiser does an incredible study. It is a synonym for worship the Lord, uh, serve the Lord, obey the Lord, uh, uh, love the Lord. It's a catch-all. It doesn't mean just shake. It's not that. No, that when God is in the reverential place in your life, and when he's in the framework of all your life and your decision-making and your doing, that he's the first one you consult because the fear of the Lord guides me and gives me the skill I need for living life. I always check in with him. He's the center point. I'm not an idolater. And an idolater, we think idolatry, if you're looking for something carved, idolatry doesn't start with a carved image. It starts with our heart. And whatever your heart loves, whatever your heart trusts in, and whatever your heart's willing to obey, that's your God. Whether it's carved in wood, metal, it could be a person. I'm trusting this person more than any other. I, I live for this more than that could be your idol. But the wise man of Scripture is a man that at the core of his being, God is the ultimate respect, the ultimate one he consults. The fear of the Lord helps him make all these other decisions. That's his prejudice. That's his outlook. That's the paradigm for his life. He's not just a rabbit's foot for when he's in trouble or attack on God. I fear, I reverence, I respect, I love, I serve, I obey the Lord. And he uses the word Yahweh, the God of the covenant people. I'm in the covenant people, and I'm going to revere this God for all the choices I make in my life. The fear of the Lord will guide me. The Bible says that fools reject the fear of the Lord. As 1 7 says, when you read Romans 1, the Gentiles in their folly reject God, and he says they became moronic in their thinking. God gave them up to empty heads, foolish decisions, because they threw off the consultant God. I don't want him in my affairs. Don't be telling me how to live. And so he gives them up to live the way of their choices, and folly leads to ruin. Another great, great core passage is chapter 3 of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Oh, my, have you seen any of these folks? I mean, by the time you're through talking with them, we've got to rewrite Encyclopedia Britannica. They know everything. And their lives are in shambles. Fear the Lord. And what's the proof of that? 
shun evil. This will bring health, nourishment to your body. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I just want to say this. You're trusting in somebody. Who are you trusting and relying upon the most? And there are some very deceptive objects of trust. Chapter 1, the young man trusts what his peers want to do. They say, let's waylay a guy, let's rob him, let's beat him up. And you just fall in with them and fall into all kinds of trouble. Uh, One of the fool's problems in Proverbs is that he trusts in his own heart. And Jeremiah said, your heart is a sick mechanism. The heart is the Hebrew, not for the pump, but for the center, like the heart of the ocean. The core of your being is where you think, you choose, and you feel. That's the core of your being. And if you trust in your heart, in other words, I can solve nothing but my heart, it would be like saying you're leaning on your own understanding. I trust my heart more than anyone else. And God keeps telling his people, you cannot trust your heart. It's a deceptive mechanism. Now, when the heart is filled with God and controlled by his word, it will instruct you to do the right. But when you're not, when you choose it over God, it can be a deceptive mechanism. It's full of uh, evil thoughts, vain imaginations, negative emotions, a negative outlook. God told uh, the story in Numbers 15 of a young Jewish boy in the wilderness march. He got out there, and it got a little cold in the wilderness. It's very cold in a desert. And uh, he decided he would gather some sticks to build a fire. One problem. It was the Sabbath. And he's told not to do any work on the Sabbath. Don't collect the sticks. Wait, wait, don't do it. Well, young, don't know what age he was. He went ahead and did it, got the sticks. That can't be too bad, can it? Come on. He's getting sticks. They need heat. And he does it. It comes to the attention of Moses. And God says to Moses, get the men of Israel and stone him. What? For gathering sticks? Here's the bigger principle. Not just for gathering sticks, but following his heart above my commandment. He was a situation ethics guy. When you're cold, it must be all right to gather sticks. What's a little stick gathering? God just said, don't worry. It didn't matter. They stoned him. And then Moses told all of Israel, change your dress code and put blue ribbon at the bottom of your garments. And when you go around right here in the robes, and when you see that blue ribbon, just remind yourself, obey God, don't follow your heart. If you had to fill out a card this morning, and we put on that card in 2010, 
I will obey everything God tells me to do, whether I like it or not. Would you say yes? I will obey everything God tells me to do this year, whether I like it or not. It's scary. Uh, Two, I will give thanks to God no matter what he brings into my life this year. It's a little bit scary when you don't know. Whatever you show me, Lord, I'll do. Whatever comes into my life, I'll acknowledge you, I'll worship you, even as Job. You see, what is the core trust of your life? Have you known God long enough to trust him? And I I see things like this. Uh, The psalmist says, at times my soul is cast down. At times my soul loses hope. I'm in a funk. I'm blue. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. Uh, Uh, The moods aren't right. The chemistry's not right. Uh, And I'm losing hope in God. And yet the psalmist talks to himself and he says, I will trust in him. I will hope in this God, even though I'm downcast. Psalms 41, 42, though I'm downcast, though I'm depressed, the ultimate source of my meaning and purpose is, And my true definition of me will be I will hope in God that God is doing something in me even if I don't like the process. Who said we have to like it? We just got to trust him. I just read today, this morning, I read um, Genesis 39. I'm going through Genesis, all of us in our Bible reading. I mean, Joseph gets thrown in jail over a crooked plot to get him in bed. And I thought, come on, God. If the young Hebrew boy decides decides to be moral, how about a promotion, not a prison term? How could you be in sending a man to prison when a woman is framing him. I know pastors who've been framed by an evil woman. This is Joseph. Why is this in the Bible? And I just, as I was talking and arguing with God, I just hear him just say, calm down, read the whole story. <laughs> this is just a chapter. You know, you've read it before. I know, but it makes me mad. Why, did you, why didn't you kill her? I strike you dead in Jesus' name. I like that. You're messing with me. But he said, I'm going to jail. For what? For a lie? God's children can't wind up in jail because someone lied about them. You're kidding. You're kidding. You would act stupid if you said that. You don't ever suffer if you do it God's way. Who are you kidding? Most of our early preachers were martyred. I'm in a dangerous vocation. Have you studied the funerals of prophets and preachers? The greatest prophet that ever lived had his head chopped off, John the Baptist. 
the greatest preacher of the New Testament era, to me is Paul. How did it end, Paul? Decapitated. Serve God and you'll drive a brand new car and you'll always just have great times. Oh, my dear man, you haven't read it all. What will you trust when your world's caving in? I think of David when the men lost all their wives and their goods at Ziglag in 1 Samuel 30. And when, you don't, when you're having great loss, the easiest thing to do is to blame somebody. And they thought the best one to blame would be David, and the men rose up to kill him. And it says, David says, because there was no one to encourage him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Could you do that? Do you trust God enough in his word that if nobody does anything but accuses you, could you encourage yourself to keep trusting him? He knows what he's doing with you. The plan's not out of, out of control. Well, who will you fear in life for this year? Who will you trust with the rest of your life? And then if God is your fear and if God is the object of your trust, let me name the areas that Proverbs, just I pick up six, there's many, but let's look at some areas you ought to exercise it. Number one, uh, will you be a fool or a wise man when it comes to sin this year? How much sin do you plan to do this year? Have you checked out your list? How much sin? Uh, you'll do all the sin you want this year, you know. Sin is never accidental. Sin is always intentional. It's, don't ever pray this way. Lord, if I've sinned today, oh, give me a break. You know when you sin. The old song was, and Lord, forgive. If I've run over anybody's foot today and I didn't know it. If I cussed out anyone today and I didn't know it. If I was spiteful. I ruined uh, my marriage relationship when I taught Carolyn the confession of sin meant to name it. Because I used to so often say, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that was good until I taught her. And I taught her homilagail. If we confess our sin means if we name it. So the next time I did something off kilter and I said, honey, I'm sorry. She just come back. Hummelagel. Name it. I want to relish you admitting it. Go say it. I don't want to name it. Just forgive. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's you. You're sorry. You're only coming back because you're grieved and the Spirit's grieving you and you're all. But name what you did to me. Name it. I don't hear you. Carolyn, I'm an English Bible man. I'm not in the Greek. You said it means to confess it. Sin is never accidental. And whether you know it or not, sin is crouching at the door of every life and it wants to devour you like a lion. It wants to destroy you. Did you know one of the heartbreaks of being a pastor and some of the heartbreaks I've been living through recently are friends of mine uh, in ministry, dedicated workers are losing their marriages. Christians can lose their home. 
Pastors can lose their marriage. Wives can go bitter. Men can get in trouble. You've got to ask, do I want to sin or do I want to pursue God? Listen to what it says. Fools considered a sport to do mischief. Proverbs 10.23. It's a sport. Fools detest turning from evil. 13.19. Fools listen to peers and their heart and ignore their God. Uh, Sin is deceptive, deceptive. Know when you're being set up. It wants to set you up. Proverbs deals with this. Will you be uh, morally, sexually pure this year? Not just physically, but mentally. Will you get off the internet, some of you guys, and quit looking at naked women? When will you get clean inside? See, biblical Christianity does not concern itself only with the deed you do, but it's concerned with the thoughts you think. For to look on the woman to lust after her is to sin with her. So it starts in the thought life. God's interested in how you live from your shoulders up because what you do up here determines what you'll carry out. Are you a one-woman kind of man? And women, are you reading bad novels and not being faithful to your husband? You're sleeping with another man because you're sleeping with a man in the novel. You got to fight like everything. Let's not be naive. We're walking through the morass of a moral wilderness in our day. Sensuality abounds in advertisement, TV. Everything's coming at our young people and us. And I find out you don't need to be a teenager to be a dirty old person. You'd be amazed at how much. Just read an article of how many sexually transmitted diseases are found in a local retirement home because they can't keep them pure in the home. It's not age limited. It is that uh, God-given passion when used in the context of marriage is sanctified, is blessed. But how will you do on moral purity this year? Proverbs teaches the young man, Proverbs 5, find all of your fulfillment with the wife of your youth. Stay faithful. Proverbs 6 says, be careful. Adultery will cost you like taking coals in your bosom. It will burn you. Proverbs 7 says, watch out. You fall into sexual temptation and sin most likely. The young man is in the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong woman meets him. And let me say, men, in Proverbs 7, men are not portrayed as studs. They're portrayed as slaughtered, dumb oxen. She captures him. She slaughters him. We always make the man the conqueror and the conquest. Proverbs teaches the young man, don't be conquered by a seductive foreign woman that will get you into bed. Randy Alcorn wrote a book on purity. And in that book, he did something profound. He took time to write down what it will cost me if I decide to be unfaithful to my wife. Do you know, 
When you're in the throes of the temptation, you're just imagining everything of that event and all your fantasies. But after you live out your fantasy and your one-night stand, whatever it is, now write down what that woman cost you for a night. I lost my wife of 30 years. Three of my children are mad as hell. They're weeping. They can understand how I betrayed not only their mother, but betrayed three children. The holidays are going to be different because your mom and dad are going to get a divorce. And he just starts naming, I'll lose my ministry. I'll lose the impact on my neighbors. I've got to explain it to my mom and dad. I've got to explain it to my relatives. Oh, you can never sin cheaply. Sin is an expensive proposition, especially when you break covenants as dear as the marital covenant. Because adultery is being a liar above all. You broke the covenant you made with the wife of your youth. It's covenant keeping. Can you keep a covenant or are you a liar? And you will betray those vows anytime you feel like it. The fool breaks them over and over and over. Live wisely, he says. Don't be captured. Plan on fleeing. Plan on you're not strong enough. I must pray. I must be in the word. And I must not be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. Um, How will you do in your speech? Some of you haven't learned to talk yet. It's amazing. Uh, When I was going to the Y, I loved to do my laps in the pool, and then they they have a, 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 a sauna there where mainly the old men went in and tried to burn off fat. And uh, I heard two glasses of water put it all back on. Kind of disappointing. But it is amazing uh, what old men talk like. I thought I was in a junior high locker room. I mean, cussing, trashing women, cussing politicians. And, and gray-headed guys, a gut as big as a mountain, and just, mm, I thought, boy, you're still stupid, aren't you? You don't, know how to, you don't know how to talk. You didn't say anything good all the time we were here. Don't know how to talk. And Proverbs says, wise men and fools are known by their speech. Let me give you some examples. The fool loves to talk only to air his own opinions. 18.2. There's so many verses, I don't have time to look at them with you. Uh, A fool, when he talks, will usually start a fight. He loves strife. You say, fool showed up. Why? We're all bickering. Uh, 18.7 says, it's the undoing of the fool's soul to talk. As soon as he opens it, you know, there's a pun in Proverbs that a fool is thought wise if he'll just shut up. That's his biggest compliment. Just shut up. And deceive us for a while. Don't open your mouth. My, my dad used to tell us it's better to be quiet and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So we all have to learn. What's a wise man's speech like? A soft answer. 
I think of some marriages. Probably their marriage would get 50% better if they would just cut the tone down. How are you in your marriage in communication? Is it just the words or is it the tone? You know, Carolyn's a sweet woman, and sometimes she'll give me a message, and I say, Wow, what's wrong with you? I didn't say anything wrong. No, there was enough iron in that statement to kill me. She said, this is what I said. And I said, but this is what you meant. She said, you're right. Tone makes a big difference. And uh, some of us, it's harder than others. Uh, Pleasant words, 16.4. Pleasant words are 24, 16 are part of the uh, mannerism of uh, a wise man. Uh, honest, let me give you a little summary. In Proverbs, they're honest, they're few, they're for a neighbor's good, they're calm. Look at 1523. Uh, see, some of you would be worthless to me if I was going through a trial. One thing, you've taken a vow of silence. You'd be good Job's comforter. Just stare at Job. They did it for, what, two weeks? Please don't come around. I don't need stares when I'm going through it. Let's get 1523. A man finds joy in giving an off-the-cuff remark. There's some people in the church, we try to keep those going through grief or heartbreak. We say, don't talk to them. They're liable to stab you trying to get you well. You don't know what they're going to say. And someone will say, they'll do this or that. Man, I talked to so-and-so, and they really hurt me. I said, well, they just don't know how to talk yet. They meant good. They just ran over your foot. But they didn't mean it. Go see a good foot doctor. How good is a timely word? Have you ever had someone give you an apt word just on time when you were either discouraged, confused? Uh, You you just needed a good word. And and look at 2511. Just see these words. 2511. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Uh, Look at 2211. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. Gracious speech. And Colossians says we ought to have speech seasoned with grace. Well, it's a lifelong challenge. James says if you can master your tongue, uh, you've arrived. And so it's a lifelong process. But uh, I would this year try not to be a fool with my mouth. Uh, And let me say this. There's one side, you're not talking all the time, but it seems to be that the wise man has an apt answer. It's just on time. It's the right counsel. And so we do need words. Words go deep into us. They they can just change, change our feeling of worth, our outlook. A good word can do so much to a heart. We want to learn to sow them, invest them. Uh, That's why I love to be around people whose mouths have been turned into a weapon for good, that they can exert or or give me a word of insight. We all need it. 
Um, I would say uh, living wisely this year will deal with the matter of money. Will you be a fool with money this year or a wise man? If you honor the Lord with your money, you'll never lose it. And there are so many gracious uh, givers in this church. We thank God for you. See, I can always talk on money in this church without a beef because we've got so many wonderful givers. Now, there's a bunch of you that are just like fools when it comes to money. You don't give. Uh, you squander. And uh, you just don't have God's blessing because you don't honor him because you're smarter than him. And you spend everything on yourself or foolishly, however that goes. But he says to this man, use your resources to honor God first. Propagate the name of God and his care and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And I met so many blessed people who never went to college and never uh, did own a calculator, but they just honored God. God came first. You know, I, I talked to some of you. Have you started tithing yet? See, I settled that when I was 15. You don't have to be spiritually deep to figure it out. The moment you just settle that, the moment you'll have peace and the war about it will be over. You just have peace. And just watch what God does with the 90% when you put him first. But some of you, you don't trust God. You don't don't think you can give to God without, this is my biggest risk. No, your biggest risk is mutual funds and trust the United States government. Don't talk about my country. Well, uh, we're, it's our, my country too, and we're going broke. Welcome. You've never lost anything you've given to God. Can't. I haven't, I haven't noticed you stop breathing. Where'd you get that breath? How much you pay a rent a month on breath? What did you pay this month for your heartbeat? Well, I just make it beat. Just try it sometime. God doesn't want it beat. It won't beat. Some of you are still employed. Is it because you're so much better than those who lost their jobs? Well, you better keep God as your partner. Some of our brothers need work. Uh, They're struggling to keep homes afloat. Uh, This money is a trust character builder. God is testing you with a little called money. And if he can trust you with that, He said, I'll entrust true riches to you, which I understand the influence on people for eternity. But you got to pass. The folks that never pass the money test, God never promotes them to have people influence. No, they're over here dying over monopoly money. It's all going to be nothing when you die. Every man is leaving his money. He's going to either leave it by death or it's going to sprout wings and leave him. One way or the other, you're going to be parted. You better use it while you have it for the glory of God over and over. So what does the Bible say? What's a a godly man's way? Give to the Lord. Stay out of debt. Uh, If you really want to be honest, you know, I just gave up our Macy's card. I just wept as we cut it up. 29% interest. 29. But they, they love our business. Come. They send out these gift cards every other week. Come in. We'll take off 10%. Why, guy, you're still then just charging me 19. And you bought it for five bucks and you're going to sell it to me for 40. 
But this is American capitalism, and that's the way we keep the economy going. Well, keep it going on somebody besides Mr. Sapp. <laughs> Stay out of debt. What are you doing with a bunch of credit cards you don't pay off? Oh, flee it. Flee the debt. Proverbs 6. Flee it. Flee it. Flee it like immorality. Don't let other men control all your resources. Keep them free to honor God, pay off debt, save something like the ant there in Proverbs 6. There's no Bible against saving and being prudent in finance. We don't have to give it all away. He said the ant did save for a hard time. So why don't you think about this here? Live wisely. Don't be stupid. Don't let other men own all the money that God gives you. Flee debt as much as possible. Uh, this is rather practical, huh? You're probably waiting for me to get to the cross. Don't worry. We'll start First Corinthians. Um, I think fifthly, and then we've got just two more, this and one more, self-control. When you read uh, Proverbs, he's dealing with self-control all over the place. Uh, don't be drunk. Don't be a glutton. Uh, uh, don't be into foolish behavior, anger, control your temper. It's all self-control issues. Uh, our country's dying under obesity, every article. And, and, you know, I have to say, being a diabetic, I look at some of you, I said, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You, you drink sugar by the cup full. You drink all these Cokes with all that sugar, eight teaspoons full of sugar in one Coke. Where did I learn that? At the diabetic clinic at Kaiser Vallejo. And I said, but my grandchildren love them, and they're going to get it. Because we're a country that doesn't practice prevention. We just want a prescription. I'll go ahead and get the disease, and then give me a prescription. So I shoot insulin twice a day, and I take metamorphin, and I got to walk, and I got to watch everything I eat. And I see people uh, abusing the temple of God. They don't, they're not taking care of I, I have no uh, reason to have diabetes. I think a lack of exercise and the stress of pastoring you has been the thing. So you, you brought it on. A lot of times I, I wouldn't exercise because I had so many uh, back problems that to exercise, you got to burn it off. And so we're a country that sits. We talk about exercise and we eat a bag of chips while we watch the Super Bowl. And now, why? You're the temple of God. You're the, you're, you're the only, uh, your body is the only tool he's got in you. Take care of it. Don't be a drunk. Don't be a glutton. Don't be given to anger. That's hard on blood pressure. It's hard on a lot of things. And Proverbs t uh, deals with this. Stay away. Don't, don't uh, eat yourself to death. You ought to read about men uh, who studied. Jonathan Edwards was one. Always watch what he ate because he studied 14 hours a day. But you know what else he did? He cut wood for an hour a day. That was his exercise program. And, of course, in New England in the 1700s, you had to cut your own wood to stay alive. But he did it an hour a day. That kept him in shape. I've been terrible about exercise. I always say pain was the reason, but I still paid the price. Exercise. Watch your diet. Take care of the temple. 
God may want to use you another 10 years. And we want you to visit people in the hospital. We don't want you to be in it. Finally, time. Ephesians says that, uh, that uh, redeem the time. Turn to a very remote passage with me, and I close. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4. Um, how will you use time this year? Some of you will get smarter. Some of you will remain status quo. And status quo is Latin for the mess we're in. Uh, listen to what Paul is in prison. This is his last letter. He's going to be beheaded for the faith. And he writes to uh, Timothy over at Ephesus. And notice verse 9, chapter 4. Do your best to come to me quickly. Why? Well, Demas fell in love with this world. He's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescent has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. The only one with me is my physician, Luke. Get Mark, by the way. He'll be profitable to me. I'll need him. Uh, By the way, it's getting cold in this dungeon. Would you bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments? And then he goes down at the close of the letter. And he says in verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. Let me say something. Clarence McCartney did a famous sermon on that one phrase, come before winter. Winter on the Mediterranean was dangerous. Paul knew he was caught in its gales and was shipwrecked on an island. He's writing to a young pastor over at Ephesus. You'll have to go across the Mediterranean to get to me at Rome. And what he's saying is, make haste to get to me, Timothy. I'm freezing cold. I'm writing my swan song last letter to you. I don't need you to come next year. I need you to come right now. And I would say this to you. I had this experience. What we're going to do for others, we better do before winter comes. There are people in the dungeon, people that have been abandoned by everybody in Asia Minor, great servants of God are in their winter. Old age, hard circumstances. I'm not an emailer. I check it once a month to see if there's any donations. And so I don't check too often. I'm just carrying on, but I don't check very often. At church, I hardly ever get your emails because I'm in meetings all the time I'm there. I have to have Donna many times check my email and see if there's an important message or whatever. But at home, uh, my, I, I went up to my email the other day, uh, Thursday night. So I thought I'd get honest with all my lost friendships. And so I look up there, I see 123109. New Year's Eve. 
Dear Phil, I don't know that my home is going to survive. She went to divorce. We had a brutal holiday as me and the kids heard of her plans. And on and on and on. And I looked up there that day. Love hearing from you. Two weeks had gone by. Now I'm trying to think if I found out on New Year's Eve my wife was leaving, how quick I'd want a friend to call me. I call. He's on the verge of tears. You couldn't call me at a better time. Other events or emotion and different things going on. And I just thought, you idiot. If for no other reason I should have checked it, it would have been to come to the side of this dear brother sooner, quicker, not later. And I must say to you, all of us maybe be allotted 365 days this year. If God gives you that many, how many people in the Mamertine prison will you get to? How many perishing, discouraged people against the wall are waiting for you to make the trip? Come before winter, for God's word is never tomorrow. It's today. Today you ought to become Christ follower. Today, you ought to do the deed. Today, you ought to quit acting like a fool and get your life at the foot of the cross in Christ. Be the Lord of my life. Be the ultimate trust of my life. You're the only one that can keep me from sin, keep me out of sexual problems and immorality. Only you can guard my mouth. Only you can direct me with money. Only you can give me self-control. And only you can help me use time to invest. For if you invest time, it will pay you great dividends. If you waste it, it will leave you a pulper. You'll have nothing but calendar days marked off. But you've grown no smarter, no more like Christ. And no one will have even known you are on the planet. There are people saying to you, maybe a mom and dad you haven't wrote, a child that you're estranged from, someone you need to be reconciled to, or an aged person that just needs a touch. Winter's coming. Come quickly. Live wisely before the night comes and we have no more time. Our Father, we pray, help us to live like wise men redeeming the time, buying up the opportunities, deliver us from the folly of wasting life and talking like fools and acting like fools. Let us live as wise men under the control of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.